Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. Happy, happy, uh, oh no, Columbus Day. What day? It's a banking holiday, that's all I know. So it's good to have you with us. Appreciate you. It is October 10th, and we are looking at a gorgeous fall day here in Central Texas. Hope you're enjoying the weather, and you're if you're taking the day off, I hope you're enjoying it wherever you're at. We've got a good number of people dialed in from all over. Got the full lineup. I see uh, Alice is on the line. We have our guest, Chase Gilbert. we got Sam Garcia. Paul Mollo just dialed in. Good to have uh, him. Andy will not be joining us, but it's good to have you with us. Again, this is October 10th, and this podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award. We're going to be talking about construction lending in the Hot Topics segment. We've got Chase Gilbert, who is really working on – he's got some technology that is uh, making construction lending just as easy as anything you could ever do. A lot of people don't understand it, or they kind of do, or they think they do, but they can't find investors. But we're going to be spending some time in the Hot Topics segment talking about the Hot Topic or talking about this topic, and it's construction lending. So you want to tune in and be here uh, towards the end of the podcast. Uh, the second half of the podcast, excuse me. Look forward to it. I also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI with their RateStar Innovative RateStar Program, Motivity Solutions with their uh, business intelligence technology, as well as Velma, which has got the best technology as far as it relates to email campaigns. I just love what Brent Embler and the team there do. They have the setup for Get It Auto Campaigns, but you should contact Brent to get a free uh, assessment and overview of what this his technology can use or do for you, you can reach him at 208-854-7909, or you can reach him at velma.com. Also, we want to say a special thank you to Simplifile, which has got some technology that I like. Nancy Alley and the team at Simplifile have technology that allows you the ability to collaborate and with settlement agents in a real-time chat messaging format, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, validate documents in a real-time way. If you want to be able to stay on top of your closings in an electronic instant communication, you got to check out what Simplifile has to offer at Simplifile.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com, or call Nancy Alley and the team at 1-800-460-5657. Also, D&H, moving your world forward through technology. They're a 140-year-old company with 5,500 employees uh, worldwide, 8,000 clients in 70 countries. The new uh, MortgageBot uh, app that they have uh, is really uh, – we've talked about it. We've had it on uh, – we featured it on the program. But I really want you to check this, out, this app out. It's an all-in-one LOS system, but it's also got now a front, uh, front overlay that allows you – to be able to take applications, your customers take applications online. They're very, very innovative. Some tech, top, not some very innovative technology they have there. I've got several things trying to come out my mouth at once. That tangle it up there. But anyway, check it out at d plus h or dh dot com. Dh dot com or call them at one eight hundred eight one five fifty five ninety two. And the Mortgage Collaborative. 
the past five, five presidents of the NBA have gotten together, formed the Mortgage Collaborative. It's a co-op, and it really allows its members opportunity to meet in an informal setting. We get together twice a year, and there's these meaningful relationships that are developing between those of us that are a part of it. I encourage you to check out what this collaborative can do for you by going to www.mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Zerbinski at 440-552-0692. The power of the network. It's oftentimes as, it's important to have who you know as, what, as much as what you know, so check out the power of the network. Special thank you to the NBA and the partnership we have with them. We have the upcoming annual conference, October 23rd through the 26th in Boston at the conference center there. Also, October 30th through the 1st, we have the Mirror Catalyst Fast Forward event in Omni Barton Creek Resort. November 10th, the Whole Loan Trading Conference, or the NBA has the Whole Loan Trading Conference, as well as November 5th through the 17th, the Accounting and Financial Management Conference. I uh, hope to see you at the October MBA conference. That is really one of the most significant conferences. And then right on, right, that one no more gets over, and then the AmeriCatalyst event comes. And a lot of people are going to be showing up there. That's, the AmeriCatalyst event is like a think tank. The MBA event is just gets everybody to gather. Really some great speakers and what David Stevens and the team there has put on. It's going to be excellent. Can't wait to uh, get to see everybody there. Joe Farr normally would be joining us and at this time, but it's a banking holiday, and Joe is taking some time off, the lucky guy, getting out there. Uh, I'm looking at the screen. Obviously, no economic data coming out today. Uh, when I said I'm looking at the screen, I'm looking at the MBS quote line screen. like these screens. They're nice, clean, and all the data that you need to know about that could be moving interest rates is all right there on the screen. On Wednesday, we have the job opening and labor turnover survey coming out. Uh, the prior report, it was at $5.87 million. We're going to see where this report comes out, expected to come out. And remember, we had the uh, non-farm payroll numbers. They came in disappointing to what economists expected, but they were actually just slightly ahead of the previous month numbers. So we'll see what the job growth numbers look like what, as it relates to the JOLTS report, so what their perspective is on it. Also, Wednesday, we have the 10-year auction and a 3-year auction. But the big news this week will be on Wednesday, the FOMC which is the Federal Open Market Committee meeting minutes will be released. The meeting is going on here the first part of this week, and we'll have those minutes released. Well, maybe that conference, you know what, that may have been gone on late last week. But the minutes are going to be released on Wednesday. It gives us insights to what the feds are thinking about the whole uh, interest rate structure. A lot of people are saying, you know, the feds really need to reload, reload their toolkit or their tool chest so in the event that we see the economy turning down, we need to have a little bit – let allow them to raise high rates just slightly now and then have those tools to bring to bear should the economy falter. If they don't, many believe that there is a possibility that the feds are not going to be able to have the intervention that they have had. The tools are not going to be there. So there is some real – a lot of people suspecting and speculating that we could see a Fed rate hike here. Uh, I'm of the opinion that with this election, nobody wants to mess with anything, so I think there's a very good chance we could see things unchanged. So anyway, that's my opinion, and we'll see what goes on. There are a lot of thoughts on that, so check out the minutes from the FOMC meeting on Wednesday. Then jobless claims come out on Thursday, uh, as well as import prices and another uh, 30-year bond auction. Friday, we've got the producer price index, retail sales. And uh, we got two retail sales reports, also two producer price index reports. So, and then consumer sentiment is the last report that comes out on Friday. So lots of good information there, and I encourage you to check it out at the website. If you haven't already done so, 
check out the website, MBS Quote Line. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Good to have you with us, everybody, and it's good to have Paul Malo joining us today. Happy Columbus Day, my friend. Good to have you here, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Being an Italian-American, I mean, it's a serious holiday for us, so I really shouldn't yeah. be here, but... <laughs> you shouldn't be well, but then there's the thing they call we got to get the work done. So, and you do a great job on this website. For those of you folks that have not signed up to receive the imfnews.com website, I encourage you to do so. The newsletter, rather, you can go to their website, imfnews.com, and click on the subscribe button. You'll be glad you did. Lots of great stuff. So let's run through the headlines, Paul. You got Jenny May uh, crushed single-family MBS issuance is the one, the first report that's up here. John Bancroft. So, run through the stories. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, this, is, this is really no surprise, but these are these are big numbers, and, and these are record numbers coming out of Ginny. Uh, it, it was a huge quarter for them. Um, the numbers on the website there in the story, the $145 billion. Uh, I think the the preliminary number for the full fiscal year was over $400 billion. It was something we touched on last week. You know, uh, the big stories here, uh, you know, is really the non-banks. Um, you know, Wells is number one, of course, but PennyMax close on its heels. Uh, and among the top ten, and I'll just read down them. You got Wells, PennyMax, Friedman, Quicken, U.S. Bank, Caliber, Mary Home, Mortgage, Pacific Union, Chase Home, and then Loan Depot. Among the top ten Gini issuers through the first nine months of the year, you know, just three are banks, and that would be obviously Wells, U.S. Bank, and JPM. Uh, you know, it's you know basically you know the same story that's been going on for the last two or three years. Non-banks keep eating the lunch of the banks. Banks don't want to really be in the FHA business that much, or if they do this, certainly not showing it. Uh, you know, they're worried about getting sued. They're worried about this. They're worried about that. And, you know, listen, if you're a non-bank, it's a great time to be a non-bank because, you know, the banks are no longer aggressive players in the FHA market, and, um, you know, you could really gain some share. And, and some of these companies have. I mean, Freedom in particular, we, you know, we've been hearing a lot about how aggressive they are in FHA VA. Right, and uh, that's just sort of the name of the game right now. So, a trend that will probably continue until uh, you know we see something to, to change all of it. Uh, second story: we crunched the mortgage employment numbers that came out on Friday. We always look at the mortgage piece specifically. Mortgage brokers firms uh, added quite a few jobs during the month, according to the numbers I saw, roughly 1,700. But mortgage banking firms cut about 500 positions. Uh, I'm not sure the reason. Uh, the BLS uh, stats don't go into fine details. I would guess uh, the cutbacks in the mortgage space for the mortgage bank companies are probably due to servicing layoffs. Uh, the production side of the business looks pretty healthy right now, uh, and now that's probably what's driving hiring. But servicing, you know, it's the same old story basically. You know, between technology and delinquent loans going away, there's less need right. for heads, and they're chopping them. So. 
Uh, we have a, a flow deer out there in the market. That's the third story, Phoenix Capital, one of the uh, active uh, servicing brokerage firms, along with Mountain View and IMA and Presswick and some of the others, MIAC. I don't want to leave them out. Uh, there's a flow deal out there they just put out. The bids are due actually tomorrow afternoon. Couldn't add a buyer up to $600 million a year in receivables. Uh, we had an update on that promontory uh, IBM story. A lot of the press yeah, covered okay. just, you know, yeah, just covered, you know, the, the nuts and bolts. We got into the nitty-gritty there. And we found out that IBM will not be buying two promontory affiliates. Uh, one is called Promontory Mortgage Path. That's headed by Bruce Witherall. And there's another unit called uh, Promontory uh, Interfinancial. Those two are not going to IBM. Um, we don't know what IBM is paying for the promontory practice, but, um, you know, it's it's a fairly large practice, which has a good reputation. Uh, I'm not sure what IBM's play is here, except for, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they need to do something <laughs> to get away from the computer yeah. business, I guess. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the IBM, uh, the reason I find this story so exasperating, IBM is owned to Terrace, a, a subservicer, um, and that business is, uh, from what we could tell, that business is not growing, and we don't know what's going on there because they never talked to us or anyone else in the trade press, for that matter. And I'm just surprised that, you know, Promontory agreed to a deal, and the only thing I could figure, it must have been a really good price, and I'd love to know what they paid for that thing. Uh, what else we got going out there? Um, we have uh, we mentioned the promontory deal, and then uh, we have short takes uh, talking more about the Ginny May issuers. Uh, we talk a little bit about Radian. Uh, their CEO uh, S. A. Ibrahim is going to retire at the end of 2017. We've heard a couple names about uh, who's been interviewed for that job. Uh, when they first put out the release about him retiring early in the year, it was basically a story of him retiring at the end of 2017. Uh, we've since heard reports that, that maybe he uh, they might replace him before that. Uh, I brought that to a PR person at Radian. and they denied that. Uh, but we do know they are actively uh, searching for a new CEO to replace him when he retires. Um, and it must be a really long search. I don't know. You know, searches last that long? I guess so. Uh, the position yeah, won't be open for 14 months. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah, listen, I guess, yeah, sure, take Take a long time to find someone, find the right person. We know of two people who were approached. Uh, we didn't name them. We didn't. Um, we we haven't contacted uh, both of them yet. We did contact one, and we're going to get more on that story. So we might name some of the people. We'll see. Uh, and there's an update on Investors Unite, and uh, you know, waxing poetic on what President Obama knew about the profitability of Fannie and Freddie, and uh, it all ties back to the uh, lawsuits out there about discovery and how many documents should be released and. When the Treasury got sued, they um, claimed executive privilege, and there's like 11,000 documents that uh, one of the plaintiffs uh, wants released, and uh, executive privilege is prohibiting some of those documents released, but some of them actually have been released to the plaintiff in that case. Um, and anyway, it's it's one of those complicated legal stories, but we threw that out there today. And that's sort of it for today. Good. Yeah, that's good stuff. There's, I mean, there's a lot of good information. Again, you somehow, I don't know how you do it, stay on top. Do, uh, someone actually texted me, says, ask Paul this. Do you get a lot of the stories emailed to you, or are you just on the phone nonstop pouring, pounding the keyboard or all of the above? Um, we well, we don't. <laughs> Listen, we talk to people in the industry. We, we either 
talk to them on the phone or email them or uh, whatnot. We don't text much. Uh, you know, listen, we write stories based on official press releases like everyone else, but then, uh, you know, the edge we have on our competition is we know a lot of people in the industry and we're constantly talking to people. We find out stuff and our our competitors aren't very good at that, in my opinion, but um, that's... Uh, you do a great job. I mean, it's the there. bottom line is, that it, and, and, and the person that wrote me is, Got tremendous respect for it. I love this. He says, "I love the, I love IMF news. I love what they, I can get off of it. The information. It kind of seems like, you know, uh, cutting edge and it's really trustworthy. So you do a good job all the way around. So kudos to you. Thank you. Our, our listeners like it and they loved having you on here. And I'm grateful to have you here, my friend. So Thank have you. A great rest of the day. Enjoy your holiday. Okay. Go cut out early. You take take the rest of the day off. Now Thanks, Dave. I'll tell guy that. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Too. I'm not sure guys can be happy with that comment, but anyway, have a great one. Thank you so much for having right. it. Let's move over to Alice Alvey. Alice, so good to have you here as always, giving updates on what's happening with the world, the regulatory world. And, uh, and there's no question, there's a fair amount going on. So give us a rundown. Yes, thanks, Dave. Hey, can you give me your day off, too? I'll just tell Roger that you yeah. said it was okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay just <laughs> yeah, as soon as you're done with this, hang up, take the rest of the day off, and have Roger call me. <laughs> exactly. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, no, Dave said. Okay. Anyway, um, so thanks. Yeah, everybody, have the day off. Dave said. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the, the things I'm watching for you are, you know, Paul brought up the FHA, and uh, we now have two more lenders who've been cited for missing things on their FHA loans. So, folks, these are just really good reminders to go back, meet with your underwriters, make sure they realize how serious this stuff is. So, two more lenders. Um, including FHA uh, fines. Uh, I don't have to name names because from my perspective, it's not about the company name. It's about, you know, my notification to everybody here is go check your own pipeline because these are important messages. So in one case, one of the lenders was not documenting assets used to qualify. And you have to remember, when you see this in print, that means it could be something relatively small, right? One step in the yeah. gift letter process, and you can still get written up for it. Uh, not including all the debts of owned by owed by the bar when qualifying, so certainly have to be careful uh, with student loans and with um, you know debts less than ten months, or I should say debt, um, you know debts less than nine months. Not documenting income used to qualify, not documenting their earnest money. Uh, they didn't include the fact the bar was delinquent on already pre-existing FHA loans. And when you go to the other lender, it's just not that much different. Same type of thing. Credit not being analyzed correctly. Um, unpaid court-ordered judgments that weren't considered in the underwriting decision, someone being delinquent on an FHA, closing a loan exceeding the FHA maximum LTV, just some really basic stuff on these lists that can happen on, you know, enough loans if you're not careful and you don't have double checks going on. So um, just heads up, folks, that's the one in just the last month, two months here where the DOJ has cited for lenders for um, FHA problems, FHA origination problems. Next on the list, we want to make sure everybody's uh, watching that it's October 18th when we actually uh, finish up the comment period for the No Before You All rule. Uh, for those of you who may not remember all the things that are in it, you know, there's a lot of clarification that has to go on with this. We want to make sure we understand clearly uh, resetting tolerances, um, how to handle payment tolerances, transfer taxes, recording fees. Um, all kinds of important uh, details that you need to check out within that rule and make sure you get your responses out because those are due uh, coming up next week. 
And uh, let's see. And by the way, if you're interested in some detail on that, we have some. Uh, Denise Kowalski, one of our teams, sits on uh, one of the groups that's been met with the CFPB last uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and we've got some details. So if you're saying, well, I'm not quite sure what to comment on, um, go ahead and give us a call. You can email me actually at alice.alvi at indicom.net, and we'll be happy to steer you in the right direction for that because I have not seen the MBA's comment posted on that yet. We also have till November 28th. The comment period is open still now for FHA's new condo rules. Uh, so lots of good stuff in there. We want to make sure we give FHA a wide range for that owner occupancy requirement. Uh, we want to go in and give our vote, so to speak, that uh, we can FHA should be able to allow owner occupancy rates down to as low as 25%. Uh, we want to extend that recertification to three years. That gives us a condo project more time to remain on the approved list. Um, so those are the two big things right now, Dave, that people need to go out there and take action on the CFTB No Before You Owe Amendment and the uh, FHA proposed rule. There so is I'll so much. Back to you. Yeah, you do a great job. Thank you, Alice, for giving us a rundown on all of that good stuff. And you can learn more by picking up the phone and calling Alice. I encourage you to do so. Alice is a wealth, a treasure trove of information. The only thing is getting a hold of her. You, email is probably the best way to set up a time, alice.lv at indicom.net. Make sure you do the dot, that, not the dot com. And you, or you can call her at 1-800-278-0200. Is that still the right number? Do I have that number right, or do I need to change that? Alice. That's well, the correct I, number. Oh, good, good, good. I know you muted it number. out there. Yeah. That is the number. So get a hold of Alice by all means. All right, we're going to be right back after this brief work. we got Sam Garcia in, ready to give us an update. Look forward to getting that. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. And they will give you a great edge. They will help you on that. So stay in touch with Alice. Get a hold of Alice. Track her down at the conference. Alice, you're going to be at the NBA conference. Do you have a booth there? Which booth number? Do you know what your booth number is going to be, Alice? Oh, I, know I should know that off the top of my head. Yes, we do have uh, a booth there. I will get that well, look before it up. the show it. is out. <laughs> I will. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, yeah, get that. If you could do that, we'll do the, put that out at the end because it's important that people swing Thank by you. there. Indicom, great company, a lot of great people there, and Alice is, of course, my favorite of all of them there, even though I'm in trouble with Raj for giving her the rest of the day off today, but that's all right. We'll get over that. Anyway, Sam Garcia, <laughs> so good to have you here with us and joining in again. Sam's got a website, MortgageDaily.com. Recommend it. Be part of the staple reading that you go through. Uh, Sam, good to have you with us, friend. Hey, how you doing, David? Good, good. Say, you know what? Patrick O'Brien of Lender Logics wrote... And uh, he was saying that he had met me at the NBA uh, conference in New York at the secondary conference, and he dove into the podcast. And uh, he was giving some – he said he's just been blown away with all the information. It's a treasure trove of incredible information, and and, uh, and that's a true about – and he's commenting about the whole – everything we're doing here. But uh, you're a big contributor to that, making that possible. So thank you, Patrick O'Brien, for those nice words that you sent in to us. 
and and we hear this so consistently across it. And you've got a treasure trove of information just on Mortgage Daily. So let's dive in a little bit of that, and then I want to focus on some of the data that you're seeing and highlight highlight some of the other aspects of what you have on your website. Go for it. Yeah, sure. Um, I wanted to kind of add to Paul's comments on the uh, employment report because the 312,000 non-bank employees that were reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, that was the most since uh, December 2006 when that number was nearly 500,000. So it's a huge, huge number we had last month um, when it comes to mortgages, and especially in the face of a somewhat weak uh, overall in, or mortgage em, or employment report, should we say, for all industries. So um, the uh, the numbers that we come up with, we take, we take BLS numbers, and then we apply our market share data that we've collected. And we estimate that there's almost 660,000 people total in the mortgage industry, including employees at banks and at credit unions. Um, that included about 286,800 people at banks who work in mortgage jobs and 59,300 at credit unions. So um, that's a little bit deeper breakdown um, about the employment industry and, of course, uh, or employment within mortgage lending. And it uh, would be interesting to see how long it continues that we continue this growth because, um, you know, with servicing uh, demand dropping as a result of improved uh, performance on, on mortgages, you know, you see less uh, need for as many employees. Um, and then the other factor that's hanging out there is we've had all these refinances for so long and doing, you know, exceptional level of volume. So, um, you know, when that slows down, we're going to see a little bit less demand for production employees too. Um, Ginny May's uh, report, they, they actually put out a monthly report. Um, and so looking at just the monthly number, they did $55 billion in September. That was the biggest month they've ever had uh, for, for Ginny May. They've never done that much in issuance. Um, residential issuance accounted for $52.5 billion of uh, that activity. And included in that, uh, and the residential numbers, was more than $3 billion in jumbo mortgages. So that was the most that uh, we could track based on uh, data we have back to September 2011, and likely the most jumbo issuance for Ginny May ever. Um, our mortgage market index, it was down 9% last week. Um, that index is an indication of upcoming mortgage originations that's based on average per-user rate locks at open-close clients. And fueling this uh, most recent increase was, uh, or decline, I mean, was uh, refinances, which sank by nearly a quarter. Uh, even purchase yeah. financing activity was down 4%. Uh, Jumbo was the only uh, category that had an increase. It was up 5%. Um, we got some data from the American Bankers Association indicating that HELL, you know, home equity loan delinquency yep. of 30 days, was 2.7% in the second quarter, and that was four hmm. basis points better than the first quarter. And HELOCs, uh, on the other hand, saw an increase of six basis points to 1.21%. Um, one other uh, uh, story I wanted to mention here that seemed to get a lot of interest was that KB Home uh, in their – Investor conference call, uh, President Chief Executive Officer Jeffrey Mesger told investors that it was uh, it, the company was dropping NationStar as its mortgage provider because the service didn't cut it. And his quote was, uh, we weren't able to get the service levels up to a level that generated a high enough capture rate or generated profits and took care of our customers. And he explained that basically uh, – 
Nation Star is more focused on servicing, whereas Stearns Lending, who's picking up that business, uh, is more focused on uh, origination. So I, I, they think that that'll make it a, a better deal for their customers and for you know all around as far as that goes. So uh, those are some of the, the biggest headlines the we've got there. So as you're heading off to Boston, what are some of the things that you're going to be looking for as we head there? What are the, some of the stories? You, you you do a great job at tracking different stories. Uh, each of you, like you, and like I was asking Paul how he gathers up some of the information. I mean, there is. what are you going to be focusing on at the conference? What are you going to be looking for, Sam? Well, look, uh, you know, around this time right now, you know, especially with some of the comments you've made recently, you know, I think mergers are huge. Um, we we actually track that kind of stuff. Each year we've got them. We, we track 30 uh, mortgage-related mergers, and sometimes that's, you know, service providers, or, but uh, generally it's all tied into mortgage lending. Um, uh, you know, it's been about that level, you know, recently, but so far this year we're up to about 18, and we've, we've caught um, – and so I'll be interested to see, you know, who's who's getting together. Um, you know, we see a lot in the compliance uh, field, with, and, and and also in uh, some of the technology fields, uh, you know, loan origination uh, systems, where well, where there's a lot of them getting together, and you know, um, they'll basically uh, integrate their products together so that when you go and you get, you know, a, an LOS or, uh, you know, a, a platform that you're using, it's already connected to all kinds of different service providers so that it kind of just feels like it's a, uh, a, 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 you're using one service and getting access to all these different products. So every month we see a lot of that. And I'm, I'm sure we'll see a lot of announcements that, you know, the, uh, the conference uh, saying, you know, there's more, uh, alliances being created and integrations being made, but uh, you know, heck, that's what we saw. Of course, at LMA, they have really just become uh, a, a one-stop shop for their LOS, as have you know many other systems out there. Um, and so, that's kind of what I expect uh, to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, until people have compliance under their belt and they feel comfortable about it, and they could build, they can move on and start making more investment in technology for the sake of production versus the sake of compliance. So, uh, I don't know. That's kind of some of the things I uh, I view. Well, there's going to be a lot of announcements being made there. I'm aware of some of them, and I sense there's going to be a lot more made there. So you're going to be there. Looking forward to it. If people want to get a hold of you and meet with you while you're there, how's what's the best way to do that, Sam? Uh, Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily.com. Deal. Or give him a call. Use their phone number as well. You can call his office at 214-521-1300. Sam, thanks so much. Looking forward to getting together with you in Boston. And uh, continuing all the good conversations we have had. You're just a wealth of information, someone great to know. encourage you to step out, get to know the website, take a look at it, MortgageDaily.com, and get to know Sam. Treasure trove of information you are. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Good talking with you. You betcha, friend. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Jim Jump is the uh, vice president of of the – uh, excuse me, he's, he's the vice president head of all chief marketing officer. I don't know if he's vice president. I wrote that in there. That's an old, uh, some old notes. But anyway, he is the head chief marketing officer for Arch Mortgage. Does a great job along with Shawnee and a, n- a number of other people there. Shawnee does a, a good job in the, managing the, all the advertising that they're doing. Uh, you want to check out their booth while there and also get a hold of uh, the some of the representatives at the conference or get a hold of them, just have them come in your office, take a look at the Raystar program. But we want to play a quick recording from Jim about the Raystar app. We'll be right back after this. 
Hi David, thanks for having me on and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimai's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive RHMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Make sure you check out the Raystar application at their booth at the conference, as well as get a hold of one of the representatives to have them come in and show you in their office. Great tool, great technology. It will save your customers money, help you make more money. It's a great tool, effectively very good. Another tool that I'm really thrilled with, the partnership we have, is with Motivity Solutions. And they have something called the uh, Motivity or the Movation product, which is a dashboard tool that allows you intelligence to look at what's going on in real time in your business. And we have the KPI of the week, which is one of the favorite things I love to have and talk about. We've got John Maynell, who is vice president. That's where I was getting the VP thing, vice president of client services. So, John Maynell, what you got for us as it relates to the KPI of the week? Hi, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be back. And this week's key performance indicator is application to underwriting cycle time. This KPI is a measurement delivered at business days, and tracking this metric helps lenders ensure that their processes upstream from underwriting are as efficient as they can be. Our clients generally find that the sooner their qualified borrowers receive an underwriting decision, the less likely those borrowers are to shop around. So this KPI can ultimately boost app-to-funded pull-through as well, which is the KPI we focused on last week. So we're really beginning to connect the dots between operational efficiency and customer satisfaction. And once again, this and other KPIs we will be talking about in the coming weeks always demonstrate that what gets measured gets results. And uh, with that, I will thank you again, Dave, and turn it back to you. Thank you so much, John. Great, great saying, great comp- company, real-time data coming to you at your desktop, how to run your business. Can't do it without it anymore. Check it out at 303. Call them at 303-721-9000. Good to have the partnership with all of our sponsors. Grateful for all of our sponsors, and we appreciate you tuning in. I'm excited to be talking about construction. Lending. Oh, by the way, Andy Shell normally would be joining us at this point. In the broadcast, he greets everybody and is taking the day off and will not be with us today. I'm hoping to have dinner with him. He just has got a lot going on, so um, it fun to get an update. I know he's been doing the webinar. I think that we're at the final stage of that, but check out the accounting webinar at the MBA website. Good to have you all with us. Let's turn on the microphone and get Chase Gilbert here joining us. Chase is... Um, uh, a fintech enthusiast at heart. He is a technology executive focused on construction lending and, and in that space, bringing it up to speed and helping it advance to the point. In 2014, Chase co-founded a company called by the name of Built Technologies. 
great name for a technology company that supports financial institutions and simplifies the way construction loans can be managed. It provides borrowers and builders with a transparent and streamlined experience when you're building a home. It's a very one of the first things that, or one of the first products, the only products that I'm aware of that does it to the degree that they do. So, uh, Chase, good to have you with us on the program, and uh, welcome. Do you have your mic? Do we have you turned on? Yes, there you are. Look at it. I'm here. Uh, it's great You're to be there. here, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. That's good to have you join us, Chase. And then construction lending has certainly been an area that is of interest. Alice, I uh, would love to have you join me in some of this, especially with your broad background. We both, Alice, have done a lot of uh, lending in the construction lending in our various paths, so very interested to sharing this knowledge with the world. So let's start off with this. Chase, It's a, when you look at what's going on in the world of construction spending, give our listeners an update. What is going on? Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? What's the status? You know, I think we've all seen construction lending on sort of a slow path of recovery ever since the financial collapse, but it's definitely poised for growth. Uh, you know, I saw Price Waterhouse recently put out their global construction report, and it predicted that the volume of construction output will actually grow by more than 70% to $15 trillion worldwide by 2025. So pretty pretty incredible growth uh, scheduled wow. ahead. That's significant. What's driving this growth? Well, I actually read I read the whole report, and I, I doubt that most people would want to, but at, as you might imagine, China, the U.S., and India are the three biggest drivers. In fact, they account for 60% of all of that growth, but the United States alone is projected to increase 30%, 36% uh, by 2020 to a total of $1.5 trillion just here at home, so significant growth. Significant growth, that's an understatement. But when you focus on the U.S. market, what do you think is the biggest driver of this rebound in just the U.S.? Uh, Construction loan volume uh, has been growing quarter over quarter for the last three years, according to the FDIC. Uh, However, residential or single-family construction uh, is still off the peak by about 68%. Whereas non-residential uh, land development, multifamily-type loans are only off their peak by 47%. And I think if, you, if you're really looking at the overall rebound, I think both coming back is what's going to drive a lot of that anticipated growth. When you look at these, this residential market, what's holding it back? I think uh, a lot of factors, to be honest. I'm I'm sure some economists a lot smarter than I am could provide the scientific answer, but one of the factors that we're for sure seeing is that home builders are struggling to access financing, and fewer lenders have really opened up to making acquisition and development loans, which is creating a lot of supply shortages in many markets uh, throughout the country. I know that you all over in Austin aren't seeing it as much, and me in Nashville, but a lot of the areas of the country for sure are. And that means fewer homes can get built, which is driving the prices up. And it feels like new construction demand is there, but builders are really waiting on lenders to make that capital more available. How is this lack of credit availability uh, in, to, in, to the home builders specifically impacting the consumer construction lending? You know, housing in America has historically been fueled by home builders actually having access to credit to build homes and then sell them to people like us. 
So fast forward through the recession, uh, you know, new equity requirements, regulation reforms, overall hesitancy from lenders, and it's created a difficult landscape for builders to get back in the game, and this is forcing builders to get more creative. So they're working with more lenders than ever. They're looking for alternative sources of capital that can also be a lot more expensive. And then ultimately, they're directing their clients uh, directly to lenders that offer construction to perm programs. Could you explain a little bit more, Chase, and, and what you mean by uh, construction to perm? Not, not everyone's familiar with that. I understand the term, but if you could explain it a little bit more, please. Yeah, of course. Uh, the, a construction to perm loan is just a form of a consumer construction loan. Essentially, it's a construction loan that immediately rolls into permanent financing, say a 30-year mortgage. During the construction phase, loans are typically interest-only until the home is completed, and then it converts to that permanent mortgage. And because of the permanent takeout on the back end, these loans have a much lower risk profile than a traditional construction loan, and they can be a lot more profitable because they have that mortgage component. That's, that's interesting. Got that part of it. Now, where do you see the consumer construction lending playing a role in the future of the industry? Uh, I think consumer construction lending is a huge opportunity that's only growing bigger. And the funny thing is, from my perspective, very few lenders are actually taking advantage of it. I feel like if high-quality programs emerge, then there's a real opportunity for construction to perm lending to grow bigger than ever before for the simple fact that lenders would prefer lower-risk, higher-margin loans than they would to make a pure construction loan that has a higher risk profile and less profitability. So what do you mean by few, a very few are taking advantage of that, of this opportunity? You know, construction to perm loans can be high margin and are obviously much lower risk profile than a speculative construction loan. Today, there's just not that many programs available to consumers that want new construction loans. So it seems like we're really just beginning to see construction to perm programs really start to ramp back up due in part to new construction demand and a lack of credit availability to home builders. Uh, for instance, at Built, we've been exposed to a lot of lenders that are either launching a program or ready to grow their existing program just because they're feeling this pent-up demand. Isn't part of the reason for fewer construction to perm programs just a general lack of experience with construction lending? Or is it lenders not wanting to deal with the headache of all that, all the administrative work and that's oftentimes required in the post-closing. Uh, you nailed it. Uh, I think that exposes part of the opportunity that exists. So offering a construction program won't be for everyone, but I think the ones that do pursue it will have much less competition in that area. Well, let's, let's talk about this. I mean, can you explain the difference between the two most common types of construction lending uh, to permanent lending, a one-time close, the OTC, or a two-time close. There's, there's two aspects of it. Now, many of you that are listening to this are involved in this aspect of lending and your experience on it, but there's a, a huge amount of, off, uh, of, of listeners and companies not involved in it. So explain those two characteristics or those two uh, categories. Absolutely. You know, a one-time close loan, or as you mentioned, an, an OTC loan is kind of what it sounds like. It's a single loan with a construction phase built in, or some people call that inclusive of, and it is usually interest only until the project is completed, at which point it converts to a traditional mortgage. 
And alternatively, a two-time close breaks the construction term and the permanent mortgage into two transactions. And there's not really a right or wrong, and there's definitely pros and cons to each. Uh, sometimes it is harder for an independent mortgage company to offer a true one-time close just because sometimes their warehouse lines aren't really designed to hold the construction phase on their books. Right. Uh, right. Bank-owned mortgage companies and banks often don't have this restriction. When you when you're looking, there's, I've got so many questions coming developing here. And Alice, I'm going to toss some the mic to you here in a little bit. Here, I want to like to get some of your thoughts on this, especially with your experience on this. Uh, where do renovation loans fall into in this whole construction conversation, and are they included in the construction lending to perm construction to perm programs? We usually do see a correlation between the lenders that are offering offering a, a CP program uh, and those that are offering renovation loans. From an oversight perspective, there's a lot of parallels between new construction and renovation loan oversight, just because they follow a very similar process. So some lenders offer their own renovation product, and there are also some great agency-backed loan programs like the FHA 203K program or the Fannie Mae Homestyle program that are worth looking into if, if someone's really thinking about launching this type of program. Alice, I'll toss the mic over to you for some of your thoughts on construction lending. There's a lot. This is a big topic. Yes, it is. So uh, thanks for being on the show, Chase. Uh, you know, it is such a dicey product, right? So. Um, even something that would seem pretty straightforward, like a construction or perm, um, lenders in a one-time close have challenges. So what would you say to those lenders with concerns about, you know, a C2P loan? Uh, number one, I would say it's completely understandable. I think uh, construction lending of all types requires and deserves constant oversight and, you know, appropriate disbursement controls in place. But if you really dive into where, where many lenders got hurt the most, it was raw land, acquisition development loans, supplying builders with too much capital for speculative purposes without the demand to back it up. And the reality is that making a construction a perm loan just has a different risk profile because of the fact that the takeout is there on the back end. And this is partly why I believe that lenders should be looking at these programs more seriously before ramping up on the spec lending side, for instance. Well, if you're looking at – go ahead, Alice. Did you have another question? Oh, no. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I was just going to say if you look at that risk of the construction loan, so, you know, not unlike a traditional loan where lenders are underwriting the creditworthiness of the borrower and appraising a finished home, obviously with construction you run into the costs, the cost overruns. You just have addi um, additional risks and paperwork to make sure I stay in first lien position. <laughs> uh, what are some of the risks you would say lenders need to be aware of? <laughs> you, you you nailed it. Uh, you know, I like to say the goal of a construction loan is to finish on time, on budget, and without any misappropriation of funds. And for sure, anyone that's been in the industry knows that's often easier said than done. But a lot of the construction risk uh, can really be managed during the origination period with just smart builder and budget due diligence. And then once construction begins, I think the biggest focus shifts to making sure every dollar goes directly into the collateral and making sure nothing takes your legs out from under you. Like you mentioned, things like uh, budget, you know, draw inspections, collecting lien release releases where applicable, uh, ensuring the appropriate insurance policies are in place, monitoring stale loans that haven't had any activity or just like some of the smart practices that, that a lender can follow to help mitigate some of that risk. So, so Dave, can I yep. jump in here with just one more question yeah, on please. that thought? So 
we have tried so hard to get, you know, that, like you said, that this is better at the origination stage because it makes such a difference that when the originator can prepare the borrower properly. Do you have any tips there on the best way to really get that to happen? Lenders talk about it, but then executing it is sometimes very tough. And you know borrowers, they're always changing while that house is being built. So how do you get stable from the beginning and stay stable? Yeah, I think, you know, communication early and often is key. I think for a lot of consumer borrowers, they come in, understandably naive to what a construction loan even is. And so I think for lenders to prepare documents, uh, I like to say, you know, put as little text as possible. And if you can try to convert it into almost an infographic explaining what you can expect during the construction phase, the way a draw works and the fact that you don't just have access to, you know, $400,000 that you disclosed on that construction loan day one, there are sort of, uh, appropriate and needed uh, disbursements throughout the life of the loan to make sure that every dollar is going into the collateral. And then I think also a big component is just the builder or contractor education in what it's like to work with your operation and what they can expect. Because a lot of times we find that the builder is usually just as involved in the conversation of navigating that construction loan as the loan officer, just because they're there from the beginning to the end of the project build out. Why do you think more lenders are not taking advantage of that? Is it is a lack of knowledge or is it really uh, the perceived risk? I just want to drill into that a little bit more. To me, I think the, the biggest risks are probably a lack of infrastructure, number one, just to manage the actual construction phase. And then I think another big component is not wanting to deal with the perceived headaches because if you can choose between a refi or a traditional mortgage and a construction loan, there's typically no question. But, you know, as, you know, if rates rise or if you're just an opportunistic uh, lending operation, I think offering a construction loan has, you know, big pros and it can definitely be an attractive product offering. I think another, another component you touched on is, Absolutely, the perceived risk. I think construction lending does have such a negative connotation for a lot of people, and I don't want to dismiss any of those concerns, but if you're interested, then they can absolutely be overcome. Well, one of the things I want to focus on is perceived uh, the uh, the infrastructure is needed. And if you could talk literally about what is required to get a construction lending program off the ground. For sure. Uh, I'd start by doing your homework. Uh, It's amazing what you can accomplish just reaching out to the market. So I would say assess demand before you really go down that path. And it can be answered pretty quickly by just talking to some of the local builders and asking them point blank, do you feel like there's a need for a well-run construction to perm program? And if the answer is yes, then I think the next question becomes, Uh, you know, a decision of how you plan to manage the builder due diligence and the acceptance and budget cost reviews, and then the ultimate administration of the loans. And there's not really one answer. So you you might do that in-house. You might choose to outsource certain functions of that to people that specialize in helping lenders with that very, very problem. So there's lots of ways and, and, you know, it's probably that there could be a whole segment on that in all reality. Yeah, 
Is it required? I mean, you've got technology that you're providing. Part of the infrastructure is the technology that you have. So is there more technology? And I want to talk about that. I want to make sure we have allow enough time to get into talking a little bit about what you do there. But, you know, I want to move on. So let's bookmark that. I'll come back to that just a little bit later. Why, why is it important to get builders to want to work with you? What's, what's their alternatives if, there's, if it's not readily available out there? Well, I think getting builders to, to want to work with you is the key to building a, a successful construction of perm program. And so the answer is probably simpler than you might think. Builders want to refer their clients to the lenders that make it easy to work with them. And building a great construction of perm program can be the gift that keeps giving if builders know that it's simple to work with you. So they're typically one of the most powerful referral sources. If you talk to a lot of the top construction lenders in the country, that's what they're going to tell you. It's, if builders love you, then you're going to be in a good spot. Yeah, but there, that doesn't always mean that you're guaranteed to get the loans out of that. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have done the construction to firm, or construction lending. Generally speaking, they're not getting the, the, the takeout loans on the backside of it. So, But let's talk about really how do you make it easier for builders to do business with you, and then I want to focus on the consumer part of it at some point in time. For sure. I think you know, similar to the influence that a buyer's agent has on a traditional mortgage, home builders are often able to steer – uh, you know, more construction of perm loans to the lenders that they enjoy working with. So while rates may prove to be somewhat consistent across lenders, uh, the predominant factor that drives builder referrals of consumers is ease of doing business. So if you think about it, most builders are used to being in the driver's seat on their own loans. So when it right. comes to a construction of perm loan, the builder wants to feel like their hands aren't tied behind their back because they're dependent on these construction loan proceeds but yet they're not the borrower on these transactions. So that's one of the areas that our business is really improving, actually. We allow all stakeholders complete transparency to everything going on in real time, similar to almost being able to track a package and know where things fit at all points uh, based on your role. How many of, of the one-time close versus the two-times close, how, what, is, what is the percentage of loans, again, that you're seeing going in those two buckets from your experience? You know, from our experience, a lot of the lenders that have initially adopted our platform are, are bank-owned mortgage companies. So many of those have are offering a one-time closed product uh, because they can. Okay. But we're starting to bring on more independent lenders that, that for sure are very active in the two-time closed product or even construction only and then hoping to get the takeout on the back end. So you're the co-founder of a financial technology company that focuses on the construction lending space. How did that happen? Did you just have a love for this? Were you involved in it and see an opportunity? Kind of share with our listeners how you got to this place where you created this technology. Our company was literally founded out of firsthand frustration with the construction lending process. Uh, my co-founders and I saw that we live in this digital world but everything we experienced in construction lending is slow, manual, paper-based, lacked any transparency, and we knew at the end of the day there was a better way. So we asked how it should work with modern technology, and then we set out to build it. Now that you've even more involved in the industry, what are you seeing in the technology landscape for construction lending? Is this an evolving area? There hasn't been a lot, and it seems like one of, you're one of the first products that I've, I've – at least I've become familiar with. There's a few other lenders out, some LOS systems that say they have that in the front end, but I wonder if it's as thoroughly, if it's as dedicated 
and to the process at which you are. You know, Dave, historically, there really hasn't been a lot of innovation, to your point, on the way construction loans are actually managed. And as a result, they're typically managed on spreadsheets. And so technology for construction lending has been focused on the ability to originate or handle the financial transaction from a servicing perspective, but nothing around the actual management of the loans. And that's where we realized all the risk and the inefficiency lies. So all that's starting to change, and it built. We feel like we're really leading the charge on that. Well, if, if there's so much in this topic that when you look at it, so the, you, how long has your company been in business again? You've started this. Was it fairly recently, or I just learned about? Yeah, it we still have been. In, <laughs> we, uh, we we started in January 2014, so we're okay. uh, I guess quickly approaching three years now. Someone just wrote us, were you involved in construction lending or are you a technologist? One of our listeners just texted me a message. You know, I am a technologist. My, uh, well, kind of both. It's a funny story. In a previous lifetime, I actually was the recipient of construction loans, but my two business partners were one of them large in the home building world. The other uh, has been a lender as well as a developer. So sort of a, con- uh, a combination of skill sets uh, all come together to, to solve this problem set. So you you found out you founded this company, you've really begun to do some things. And, you know, if the industry hasn't changed in forty years, do you think it's it'll easily adapt or embrace this new technology that's what you've created? Or the whole process of construction lending? What's what's your prediction on where it's going? Fortunately, I can say I do because I'm seeing it happen firsthand. Uh, anytime a solution comes around that can significantly reduce risk and increase profitability, I think you're going to have people pay serious attention. Plus, I think the increased pressure from regulators to really have a grasp on your construction portfolio intensifies this need to evolve, especially for people that have been active in construction lending for years. They know there really is just this major gap, and there's been a needed solution for a long time. Uh, You know, if if it's any indication, last week, it was pretty exciting. We got named one of the top 20 fintech uh, forward companies oh. to watch just, just because of the fact that the industry, I think, recognizes how much need there really is. That, it's, um, that's, that's a great reward. Who awarded that to you? American Banker, in conjunction with BAI, uh, oh, good. actually puts, puts out the, the annual fintech forward uh, companies to watch and top 100 companies. And so we, we feel very uh, lucky to have been named. Another listener just wrote and says, you know, I have, I'm new to construction lending. Will your system walk me through the process? I mean, uh, how much do I need to hire a consultant? I guess they're asking me that to get me involved in the uh, construction lending business. I know Alice knows the space well. I know it well. But, you know, if they were to buy your solution or license your solution? Which is it? Is it a buying or a licensing your solution? We are a success-based pricing model software and service business. So hmm. uh, it's sort of pay by the drink. We make it really easy to get going. Uh, and no big upfront costs or anything like that. And I think, you know, that wh- whoever just reached out to you, I would encourage them to reach out to us. We we don't typically, like, quote-unquote, launch a program for someone, but one of the benefits of working with us is that we do have a very white-glove approach to bringing on new clients, and it's, it's something our client service group takes great pride in, just 
you know, studying, we, we do have the benefit of getting to see successful operations across the entire country. And we're always trying to guide people towards best practice. So, Chase, uh, it's been great to have you here. Again, our guest has been Chase Gilbert of Built Technologies. But what is the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to get into construction lending or learn more about your product and the services you provide? They could reach me directly at chase.gilbert at getbuilt.com. I'll also be at MBA Annual. Uh, I just reached out. We'll be at booth 236. Uh, but I encourage anyone to reach out to me uh, ahead of time, and I'm happy to schedule meetings, and a few of my my uh, associates will be with me as well. So we'd love to have face-to-face time or a phone call with anyone uh, for anything. Another question just came in. We're getting some questions. We're out of time, so we're going to just wrap this up with this one last question. For someone that's wanting to set up a program on this, does your product, this is a very specific question, does your product, is it kind of a turnkey product where they can license your tool, your technology, and basically get a construction lending program up and running quickly? Absolutely. I think that's a a great way to categorize what we do. Good. Well, we'll check it out more. If you're at the MBA, it's what booth are you going to be in? We're in booth 236. 236. Good, folks. Check it out. Anyway, so good to have you all with us. Appreciate you joining in again. Thank you, Chase, for being a part of it. Check out the website. Again, what's the website address? Built? www.getbuilt.com. Getbuilt. Getbuilt.com. Check it out, folks. Great technology. It's good. Chase came highly recommended by a very good friend of mine, someone who knows technology. He says, this is a quite a product. You need to get to familiar with it. I'm glad you took some time to come on. I, I can tell by the questions that are stacking up. We're going to have to have you back, Chase, to answer some of these questions. I'll forward, hopefully get some of these forward down or have them get in touch with you directly. Folks, good to have you with us joining in. The time is up. Hard to believe it. Next week we have joining us Brent Emler of Velma. Here we're going to be talking about how you can be working your email marketing campaigns. What are things that you can do to have a broader reach and stay in touch with your customer base? Brent does a great job on this topic, and we're looking forward to having him on next week. Good to have you with us. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Look forward to having you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 